Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Star Trek Sundays. I'm Victoria, and with me is my co-host, T. Today, we're going to be discussing freedom fighter or terrorist, which was a very common social topic in Star Trek. At the top of the room, we have pinned, or we will pin, the Star Trek Sundays link tree, which lists the episodes covering this theme and that we'll discuss today. Star Trek Sundays is a passion project for T and me and will form part of a new YouTube channel which will post highlights from conversations on Clubhouse. Once we have a few videos posted, we'll link the channel in one of our future Star Trek Sundays rooms. It was a pleasure revisiting these episodes in full on Netflix and using the memory alpha pages on the link tree as a resource for those I've yet to see. I'm looking forward to a lively discussion this morning and will now turn the mic over to T. Welcome T. Well, thank you, Victoria. I'm really excited about this, uh, the whole idea of the room. I thought you just had a, a great idea for this room, uh, because Star Trek has been one of those incredibly influential series uh, in my upbringing, and I think in, in our, uh, in our uh, culture as a whole. Um, its characters are often role models, I think, for a lot of people. Its villains are absolutely, absolutely legendary, and its willingness to tackle serious issues in our world um, often through the lens of cheesy acting, you know, really allowed it to endure as one of the sci-fi greats. Um, the issue of freedom fighter or terrorists, uh, besides being a central theme to almost every Enterprise episode, was a frequent theme that was handled in some often surprising ways. Um, and I think it'll make for a good discussion. And so I'm excited to dive into the nuances of the politics. Excellent. Thank you. Um, I have linked the link tree up. If anybody's interested, they can go there and, and we'll be um, discussing some of these um, episodes. And um, I guess the only thing to say right now is that I'll bring people up to the stage to share your thoughts in just a minute. I just have a couple of questions for uh, T that I'd like to explore with him. And then uh, once we've explored those, we'll invite everybody up uh, or whoever wants to share on those same topics. So the first one would be, um, T, would you join the Federation to fight for freedom or do you think they're actually terrorists? So I personally would probably join the Federation. And the reason that I say that is that they are the, one of the most dominant forces in um, the galaxy. They have superior firepower to just about every other uh, faction out there. And uh, if given the opportunity, I would love to serve as an officer. I think uh, being aboard the Enterprise, even as just a, a passenger, like, you know, having a family there would be an amazing and exciting adventure. You know, I recognize that this isn't the, the path that everyone would choose and everyone's going to have a, a different way of seeing this. But um, I think that there's a lot of, of value to be gained uh, personally by having that sort of discipline, that that role in exploring the galaxy, that uh, that opportunity to... Uh, make new discoveries to help keep the the you know peace of the galaxy, to really battle again uh, for the the values that I believe in. I think those are all things that uh, that are attractive to me. Yeah, when I first started watching it, um, particularly the Next Generation, um, I I thought it would be a great place. But as I've revisited some of these things, it does sort of feel like. Um, well, we'll get into it a bit a bit later when we talk about the high ground and um and and how similar the federation is to some of the empires around the world today um 
So I'm interested if anybody in the audience would join the Federation. So I'm going to invite a few people up. Hopefully they'll come up and, and discuss this uh, with us before we move on to some details of, of the uh, episodes. So I'm inviting everybody up if they want to come up. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining us. Um, what do you think? Would you join the Federation to fight for freedom? Or are they actually the terrorists? I was actually really surprised how many differing thoughts I had to that question when you asked it a minute ago. Uh, I don't know. Because um, on the one hand, well, I'd probably, I'd just be an extra. So I'm probably going to die or something. <laughs> you know? I'll probably be the one to bring, bring aboard the virus or <laughs> something like that. Um yeah, I don't, I don't know, because, I mean, that's, there's a chance of that, right? If it's still a show. But let's say it's a reality thing, and this is a real ship, and the Federation is real. And do I join the Federation? Uh, probably. Um, I think T's answer was pretty good. Um, the sense of adventure is there, right? Uh, the, the question would be whether I would just be stuck in my quarters or my working space while you know the crew of the 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 uh uh what's the word uh, of the uh controls you know the the upper the captain number one and everybody the bridge yeah that's what i was trying to say unless you know because it's usually just the folks on the bridge who get to have all the fun and everybody else is well they're, they're lucky if there's some sort of a, a a little vacation on a planet that they're visiting right so I'm not sure if I could be high ranked real quick, maybe. <laughs> well, that's interesting because I think that uh, people like uh, Jordy get a lot out of their job, like working on the warp core. I, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of opportunities where he um, got to explore a, a lot of cool, a lot of cool technology. Right. So I think and the, the doctor, the, the, those would be right. exceptions. But I mean, like, or, or, or the know, doctor, they're, yeah. they're part of that crew is what I'm, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, the, they always, go. the problem is, is that, you know, if you don't join, you don't get access to that technology. And so in, in a lot of ways, they can be seen as, you know, the opposition, because just because you don't want to co tow to their, um, their, their way of life and their, their way of doing things and their military style, right? You don't get access to their utopian replicators and all of the, you know, the ability to travel anywhere and all those things. You have to work for gold press latinum and do all those things. So, uh, I, I, I think that, you know, a lot of people would, would tend to say that there's, there's, there's something to be said for, you know, working for a living rather than sort of just, you know, riding around in this utopian right have you ever thought about not um you know being in a in a utopian opportunity and what that would be like to not be in there or or to have the federation reject you chris no can't say i ever thought what would it be like to have the federation reject me now i mean like you know if you were a klingon that would be a problem right and i mean there's there's obviously exceptions but for the most part, you probably wouldn't be in the Federation. So I guess the question is, would you right. then see them as the terrorists? Assuming you were a Klingon or something. Well, I mean, I, I suppose. I, I can't put my head into a Klingon's brain. They seem like a violent bunch. <laughs> Yeah, when I've been, I, I, the question is really good, T, 
when I was revisiting this um, with a mature brain, um, I I was seeing some things that made me uh, cringe a little or, or um, look at it like, are these is this group blackmailing these people? Like it does feel like it's coercive. Um, and I, I know I didn't have those thoughts when I was younger watching it for the first time. So it, it is a, a, a good question. It makes me wonder about how this relates in real life, obviously, because that's what they wanted to make us do was, was look at the people who were in power, who we thought were the good guys and and question are they really yeah i think there's a metaphor there with you know sort of the 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 federation you know having the captain and, and riker and and data being and you know everybody's sort of having white skin and all the klingons are, are dark-skinned right i think that there's definitely a metaphor being put forth there and i think that it's a valid i think it's a valid question to ask that if you were born klingon and you were, you know, born on the Klingon homeworld and raised as as a Klingon and raised to be a warrior and, and fight against the, the Federation, right? I, I think that you would see them as the terrorists in that scenario. Right, Victoria? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just as as the the, the freedom fighters <laughs> with air quotes uh, do today. I, I mean, not everybody thinks that the West is the... Um, are the free people, right? So, um, yeah, and and this is directly uh, referenced in some of these things. Um, I have a, a couple of questions. I'm going to invite Sean up. He just got here, but I know he's a big Star Trek fan. Um, and uh, before we move on, I just want to say that this is the Star Trek Sunday's room in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse, and we're discussing freedom fighter or terrorist. So the next question I have for you, T., is, uh, well, I, I'd like to move on to the high ground because this kind of relates to what we were talking about uh, just now about um, whether the Federation is, is are actually the terrorists. And in the high ground, uh, if you'll recall, I know you do, um, Finn and Crusher, Finn is the terrorist in air quotes and Crusher the doctor, arguing over ideals and Finn paints himself as a general who was admittedly denied independence. And Crusher says he's a terrorist killing innocents. And Finn rebuttals, it's no different than how the Federation was built. And I wonder if you could comment on that. Was he right? Should Crusher have done more to help him? I thought she was quite sympathetic. Um, I'll ask T his thoughts, and then we can move on to uh, Chris and Sean on that topic. Well, I think that, you know, the scenario here is that uh, Crusher was kidnapped by... Um, the, the, what is what is effectively a rebel force, right? And in the course of the conversation, Finn and Crusher um, are talking about their ideals. And when when Crusher says that you know you're you're killing innocent people, and I don't understand how you can't see that, Finn takes the high ground. That's the name of the episode. He says that it's easy to look back on an empire that's already built um, and say that, you know, you have the high, the moral high ground because I have, I have the might, right? But when you're coming from a position of not having the power, 
you don't have that high ground. You can't speak from that position. You aren't necessarily the terrorists, you're the freedom fighters. And so Finn was pointing out that when the role is reversed, um, you know, and you're up against the Federation, the lines aren't so obvious. And so I think that Crusher made the right decision to be compassionate to him because she appreciated the situation that he, she was in, that he was in. She appreciated that she didn't necessarily have the high ground here to say that he was doing wrong when she had the privilege of being in a situation that was built on exactly those types of actions of the killing of innocent people in order to um, protect the, 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 the greater good, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting. The, the whole innocent people thing is interesting because there's always innocent people on every side of this. So when people say you're a terrorist because you're killing innocent people, are, aren't the 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 big empires who are fighting the terrorists, let's say, aren't they killing innocent people that are, are casualties of, of just being around the, the, let's say, terrorist camps or freedom fighter camps? Um, I'll just move on to Chris. Chris, did you have a, any thoughts? I, I don't I know these episodes are old, but uh, they come back to me quite quickly once we get into it. Um, I'm just wondering if you had some comments on uh, on that topic. Yeah, I can't recall the specific episode. I'm not as much a Trekkie probably as anybody here. Um, I just have a, a sentiment from childhood, and I've, I've watched a few episodes of the late stuff. Um, but actually, if if you could maybe give us a better, uh, a more in-depth outline of exactly what the scenario was. You said Crusher was kidnapped, but there were two Crushers, and I don't know which one. And then you hate say he and she, and I don't know who's he and who's she. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. My, my apologies. That was my mistake. Okay. In the beginning of the episode, um, Worf and Picard and Dr. Crusher are down on a planet when an explosion goes off, wounding um, a couple of people. Dr. Crusher runs to uh, the aid of the people who are wounded, while Worf tries to protect her. Um, the, the assembled crew says, you know, the captain calls for them to beam aboard, um, but Crusher tries to argue against that, right? She says that, um, you know, while, while they definitely have positions of their own, there are people coming. Um, she's here now, they're not here now. And so she needs to stay behind. And so Riker goes ahead and, and, and beams back up, and Worf, I think, beams back up. But Dr. Crusher stays to help the people while uh, one, of the, one of the security guards tries to protect her. At that moment, somebody uh, warps in using unknown technology, uh, grabs, you know, shoots the, shoots the security officer, grabs Dr. Crusher, and then, you know, disappears, right? So uh, it's later revealed that the, the man who kidnapped Dr. Crusher, his name is Finn. And... Dr. Crusher is under the, the control of this, uh, of this rebel force and uh, Finn and Dr. Crusher have a conversation and uh, Dr. Crusher is appealing to him because the problem is that the, 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 uh, the opposition, the rebel force are using a technology that is causing them to slowly die. Uh, it's this warp technology that, that uh, interdimensional warp technology that allows them to travel. 
and it's causing them to take injury and die as a result of using this technology. They see it as a as a critical uh, strategy that allows them to get ahead because other people aren't willing to take this risk of personal injury. Um, but it means that they need a really good doctor. So they kidnap the doctor in order to deal with this problem. So now Dr. Crusher is under this under these people control under these people's control and there she is trying to heal them from their problems but the the problems are terminal they are going to die from their self-inflicted wounds of using this interdimensional warp travel and so dr crusher is appealing to her kidnapper finn's um sense of ideals and he's saying you know you're killing innocent people in 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 support of your cause you know how can you not see that this is terrorism and finn responds by you know retorting that he is he's he's you know a general he's like george washington and dr crusher says that um you know it's, it's not a it's not a situation where uh you know where where uh uh jed the, the george washington was a was a terrorist uh he was he was you know fighting in an army and and finn says well what's the difference right the difference here is that you have a bigger army and i have a smaller army so really you're taking the high ground on that side alone and is that you know the question is is that really a moral justification is that really an ethical justification is that something that we should allow as an argument so so chris the dr crusher was the female uh doctor and her son was wesley crusher which was the younger one but wasn't really much in this episode yeah he didn't come aboard till later i don't think all right shall we move on to the next uh topic victoria yeah that that'd be great yeah so just a reminder this is the star trek sunday's room on the atheism in the atheism club on clubhouse we're discussing freedom fighter or terrorist and my next uh question because it was one of the episodes i watched this week as well is uh and 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 t maybe you'd like to give a uh, uh an overview of this uh once i ask the questions but i'd like to talk about preemptive strike and uh we had a uh and i don't know what her uh rank was but roe uh was ensign. someone who yeah and ensign. Yeah. ensign and was she ensign when she came back from from the training yeah yeah exactly yeah. okay so she had been a bit of a, a troublemaker in the past and um and she came back on board and due to the situation um uh picard put her into a, a spy situation and uh you can um give a bit of a scenario but my question is uh she ends up betraying picard and i want to know if you think that she did the right thing um, and did Picard do the right thing in using her, using her in general, given her past, but also using her um, because she was so new? So perhaps you want to give a little bit of a, um, a brief scenario of what the show was about. It is also linked in the link tree if anybody wants to read a longer recap. And, um, and then we can get back to the questions of did she do the right thing? by betraying Picard and uh, did he do the right thing by using her? Yeah, so in this episode, Picard asks, uh, it's either Lieutenant Rowe or Ensign Rowe, I think she gets demoted at some point, um, 
to go on a, a basically what what uh, constitutes a, a double agent mission to go undercover and as part of this mission um she infiltrates a a, a set of uh, maquis rebels and um in order to convince them that they um that that she should be trusted as part of the group she steals from the enterprise she takes a shuttle and um takes one of the members and goes and actually flies into the the enterprise into the you know into the shuttle bay of the enterprise um like flies through the shields and they and like gets detected and everything and Riker and Picard are like all right just let it go just let it go you know don't do anything and then like you know um steals medical supplies and then you know successfully gets away with it right and so in this way she also becomes sympathetic to the needs of the people who she is you know pretending to work for so then at the end of the episode um, it, I don't think it's much of a surprise when Picard, um, when when she turns on on uh, when there's a a a a, a shuttle coming, and there's you know they're about to be ambushed, and she fires on the the enemy ship uh, to show the McKee that that um, you know where they are, and thus the McKee like turn around and get away and don't get destroyed that day, um, and so for this she gets locked up and and put it in the brig and then right before she um she uh right before she gets trans you know taken away she she says you know to tell picard that she's sorry um she feels remorse for having betrayed picard so i i think this is one of those really hard situations where part of me is very torn because she's betraying orders and that's not what you join the Federation to do. You've joined the Federation to follow orders, not to be a traitor, right? On the other hand, I too would have probably become sympathetic. Given the situation where these people are literally stealing medical supplies just to stay alive because the Federation won't give them to them, you know, this is, this is one of those situations where in my eyes, uh, the Federation became terrorists Picard uh, chose absolutely the wrong person for the job in every way imaginable. I feel like he did this knowing he was going to fail. And then he, I feel like his anger, like the very last scene, is just how angry he is of himself. And I feel like that anger is in knowing that he failed. He failed to choose the right person. He failed to choose, make a better choice with regard to... Um, you know, what it is that he was going to, you know, who he's, who he's going to choose. So I think that's a very potent episode uh, where Picard learns a lesson. Um, and I think that sort of we all learn a lesson about uh, who the terrorists actually are, right? And in this situation, I think it is the, the, the Federation. Yeah, <laughs> that, was a, that was a great recap. Um I agree. I agree there that I was, I had some uh, mixed emotions and um, really could empathize with her when she was um, with the people, especially the older gentleman who um, she became close to. And, um, but, you know, it was interesting at the very end when she told Riker, um, you know, tell Picard, I'm sorry. You could really see that Riker was sympathetic to her as well. And, um, yeah, he was. you know, I, 
yeah, it just, it leaves you with so many questions, right? These are great prompts for some contemplation. I want, um, so first of all, first and foremost, right? The, the dish that, um, you know, that they shared the old man and, and row, I want, I want to know whatever Hasperat is because it sounds delicious, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That was part of it. That was part of the thing when she was like, hang on, you know, we've got to have this dinner together type of thing. So, um, uh, Chris, I don't know if, if that rings any bells for you, if you want to, to comment on, um, that, that type of betrayal. Um, the other question I had, um, maybe I'll just ask T first is, do you think Picard had a right to be angry at her? And my, my thought was perhaps his anger was at himself as well. So do you want to cover that or should we? Uh... Yeah, I, I think, I think he was just wrong, like straight up. Right. So any, any anger that he had at her for betraying, you know, him, he should, he should have sent data. It is if, if that's, you know, how he wants people to act, then, you know, if, if he wants people to act without thinking, without emotion, right? He put the wrong person into the wrong situation. And I think that all of his anger was really at himself. So all of any anger that he had at her was simply projection. Right, right. Chris, did you want to chime in on this topic? Uh, I think I'm going to stay quiet at the moment, but I'm enjoying. Okay, great. Uh, Sean, you must have something to say about this. You recognize this this episode in the storyline. I um, I do. Um, it's not. It's a little bit more vague than the other one was. I wanted to go back to the last episode with Finn and Crusher. Um, by the way, Wesley was in that actual episode. And um, towards the end of it, um, of High Ground, um, you know, they rescue, um, Crusher and, and Finn is shot and annihilated right there on the spot, which they didn't have to do. The Rudians didn't have to do that. And so that was a, a shock for everyone. And Crusher, you know, had some love interest, of course, also. Um, and it was a, it was a sort of a shocking end. It was like, suddenly he's, he's killed. And um, if I remember right, I, it's been a long time. I've watched a lot of different Star Trek since then. I think he sort of like, it was sort of like a disruptor where he sort of just, it wasn't a, a, a nice quick fall over death. But I could be wrong on that. But anyway, he's just sort of uh, evaporated into nothingness. And, um, and so that was, it took her a while to come back to being back with the Federation, that that actually was a mid-November 1989 filming of that episode. Um, and it was all about terrorism also, of course, not only the Stockholm Syndrome, but just terrorism in general, and that possibly both sides have, have moral high grounds in certain areas and, and are correct in certain areas. And um, yeah, so that, that was the shocking part. As far as Ensign Rowe and the Cardassian uh, and the Ma Maquis, um, who who basically didn't want to accept the, the peace treaty between the Cardassians and the Federation, um, they were sort of rebels. Um, and they just didn't want to go along with the, the change 
in in law and in in and in, in the world order that they were seeing. So um, I never had great feelings towards them. I thought they were just sort of the rebels that couldn't accept um, following Federation and and Cardassian um, rules. Um, I felt much more for Finn uh, and his people that you know they had a they had a very good moral justification for their actions. So. And um, I never actually cared much for the, the character of Vincent Rowe, but that was just me. Yeah, she was kind of a, you know, this, this little spitfire that just didn't fit in and didn't have much personality other than just sort of, you know, acting, uh, uh, you know, act, acting aggressive and, and uh, dis- disagreeable, I would say. Maybe she had a little bit of uh, odd. I think it's op, uh, oppositional defiant disorder or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, you know, before we go on to the next episode, this this kind of reminds me of uh, some stuff I was thinking over the weekend. Uh, fight for freedom. Like, what is freedom? So when I was preparing for this topic, I talked to a few people and read a bit of history. And it seemed that for the most people, freedom is a word like love, like where we can't really define it so much. And um, I, I've just invited Sikwapu up to the stage and, and perhaps he can uh, talk about this a little bit. So I just want to get this um, this out first though. So what is freedom? Freedom fighters trying to liberate themselves from being subjects of empires from European countries are now the dictators, the freedom fighters have become the dictators in some of the countries that they fought to free. And I'm just putting this out there for contemplation and, and feedback. And uh, the, the first example that comes to mind is Cuba, right? I know people personally in Cuba who lived through the revolution. They're not living now, but I did know them. And, and they were happy to have these freedom fighters right? The, the Castro and the Che Guevara's come in and save them from Batista. But then, of course, that went sideways, right, as we all know. And, um, and they didn't like that either. And, and so I guess I, I'm going to put a couple of things out there and ask T to uh, respond, and then we'll go through the, the, the rest of the stage. So, you know, are terrorists always terrorists hiding in the cloak of a freedom fighter? Or were they really striving for something noble? and took a turn somewhere. Because it kind of reminds me of the classic, you know, villain backstory in fiction. So, you know, maybe when we think about freedom, you know, and and Sean had said that they just weren't complying with Federation. And it's like, well, in the Federation, we've seen that's not quite freedom, too. It's a lot of compliance there. So, T, do you want to take this? And and then once you're done, we can pass it on to Chris, Sean, and Sequapu. Yeah, because I, I, you know, I started by saying that I would join the Federation and I, I would do so knowing that freedom fighters are always terrorists in cloaks. And the reason that I say that, you know, uh, is, is because we always act on the information that we have available. And if we saw the bigger picture, we almost certainly would act differently. And so, you know, when, when we say freedom, we're talking about sort of this idea of you know, being free of oppression, being free of subjugation. That the idea of, of subjugation is important, or oppression is important to 
the idea of freedom, you know, because if you're not being oppressed, what is it you're being freed from or you have freedom from, you know, if we're, if we're not talking about some oppression or some subjugation. Um, so I think that it's important to recognize that, you know, we have sort of that libertarian freedom. I'm free to go get a beer, but what we're really talking about is freedom from like, you know, I don't know, the state or something like that, or the, the Federation or the, the Klingon, you know, uh, empire or whatever it is, right? Uh, and so when these Maquis are, are running around trying to steal from the Federation, you know, I, I think that the designation of them as, as freedom fighters and the, the, um, uh, the, the designation of the, the Federation as terrorists is appropriate because you have somebody who is doing subterfuge. You have somebody who is infiltrating them in terms of Ensign Rowe coming in and trying to, you know, uh, steal intel about them. And they're basically willing to give up the medical supplies in order to take the intel. Well, that's terrorism. You know, that, that's, that's how terrorism works, is they're coming in and, or, 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 or you know, uh, what is it, espionage, whatever it is that you're, that you're calling it, right? So I think that, that the people who are taking the action here are, are the, the, the Federation, and they're the ones who are being aggressed, or aggressive, and the Maquis are the ones who are being aggressed. And so I think that, you know, that's the, that's the distinction, is what terrorists are the ones who are doing the aggression, right? The Federation's the, the terrorist. Great. Yeah, thank you. Give you a thumbs up for that. Uh, Chris, any thoughts on this? Uh, Chris might be busy. Uh, we'll come back to Chris if he has some thoughts on that. Uh, Chris, if you if you want to make a comment, uh, just give a, a the little um, explosion, and then I'll be able to see that uh, and and go back to you. Sean, what do you think about um, about this fight for freedom and what is freedom? I was just looking at the Memory Station Alpha database, which lets us know about all things Star Trek and and goes over each episode. Um, I vaguely remember this episode. This was the last episode where the Maquis, it was specifically written to close the whole Maquis episode, and it wasn't really mentioned again. And um, I vaguely remember this, so I, I don't even want to comment on it. There's a lot of Deep Space Nine episodes that uh, must have been the time in my life or what I was eating or I wasn't getting enough sleep or I was doing a lot of business traveling at the time. I don't remember this episode very well. I just went through the memory stage, station alpha and tried to scan, scan it, scan it, skim through it and scan it. And um, I, it's still, I'm trying to remember it. I think I remember the guy that played Eddington and it wasn't one of my, it didn't jump out in my memory as one of my, my most favorite episodes by any means. Not because I hate it or not, it just I don't recall it very well. So in other words, I'll shut up about it. Oh, we haven't gotten to that one yet. Oh, yeah, we haven't got we haven't gotten there yet. Um, my question was, and I'll just do a little recap here. This is Star Trek Sunday's room in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse, and we're discussing freedom fighter or terrorist. And right now we're on what is freedom? Right? Freedom fighters trying to liberate themselves from being subjects of empires. Um, and, and, you know, depending on your perspective, where you sit, and what T was saying, who's the aggressor, um, does that does that make the terrorist? But, you know, when people are fighting for freedom, when they get that freedom, are they 
are they actually freer? Um, so there's just some questions, but um, uh, I'll, I want to move to Sikwapu because I think that he has um, probably a, a good perspective on this and would love to hear what you have to say on um, on this point. So I'll turn it over to Sikwapu. Yeah, I, uh, I'll try to answer that question, but you guys can stop me because I'll probably get pretty triggered. Uh, but I first wanted to talk about uh, Ensign Rowe. I loved Ensign Rowe. I wish they had kept her on. I always thought they didn't do enough with her character. And in terms of like characters like her, like Tasha Yar or um, what's her name? The, the half Klingon in, in uh, Voyager. What's her name? Uh, I can't remember her name. Um, Balana. Um, out of those three characters, I thought the actress that played Ensign Rowe was much better and played that type of character much better than, like, I never understood why people uh, romanticized Tasha Yar so much. I didn't really like her or her character. Um, and then Balana's character on Voyager was just, I don't know, too whiny for my tastes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I wish Ensign Rowe had survived. Um, going back to freedom or terrorist, freedom fighter terrorist, you know, I, I can't speak to Cuba, but I, I know that we're not getting the whole story there. I know much more about, like, Mexico and Bolivia and that kind of thing. And I think that what I have a problem with with Clubhouse and, um, you know, like, European descendants in the United States and Canada is they don't understand, like, the game. They don't understand how devious it is. I lived in Chicago, which is, like, one of the most corrupt cities in the United States, and when you're at the bottom, you see that the good guys are just as bad as the bad guys, if not worse than the bad guys. And the only reason why they can get away with being the good guys is because they know that they're the majority and they can manipulate other systems like the newspapers and the TV stations and the courts and all that kind of stuff. And so most Americans don't hear what the bad things that the good guys are doing and you know they at least in my neighborhood in chicago the good guys were terrorists they were terrorists they kept the brown and black people quiet so i know that's happened or is happening right now in mexico with the several indigenous uh, uprisings there including my people the purepecha um you know they get demonized actually they're being sort of controlled by israeli and um Afghani and British counterinsurgency forces right now, uh, and this is the this is the irony, right? The indigenous people are called um, insurgents or ter terrorists or radicals here in this country too. I mean, when Obama started the Homeland Security uh, Department here in the United States, all the reservations in the United States were on that list as possible terrorist threats. So. It's it's a matter of how much information is given and how much power the terrorists have to spin their own story. Like Bolivia, Bolivia um, might seem tyrannical to some, but for the indigenous people, it's great. Um, but it seems tyrannical to the people that are otherwise uh, classified, you know, they have indigenous ancestry, but they consider themselves Spanish or mestizo or something like that. And so they're the ones complaining, but for the indigenous people, they feel great about the administration in Bolivia. Yeah. 
Thank you for that. Um, yeah, T, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just saying, I, I think you're right. Um, I think that there's, you know, a lot of a lot of interesting lines here because um, there, there are so many interesting parallels to what, what ended up happening. Um, and I think that the, the show's ability to predict the future in that regard was uncanny um, in, in how it was able to sort of, you know, call our attention to that and then have us see it sort of untold in, in real time before us, right? Um, and I think that the, you know, even, I think Sean mentioned the the, the parallels there with uh, the, the obvious metaphors, the faces that are half black, half white. Um, the, and I mentioned the Klingons being always, you know, dark brown and, and the, the bridge always being mostly white, right? With sort of one brown representative type of thing. Um, and I think that was very intentional. I think that was a, a metaphor for um, what was, you know, what they were trying to convey. So I, I think you're absolutely right to, to call those parallels. I was uh, wondering a question for C. Kwapu, which isn't really related to Star Trek, but it is related to this whole concept of the imperialist uh, aggressors coming in and winning and possibly rewriting history to their satisfaction. What do you think of the, the Pope's recent visit to Canada and his apologies? It, it was horrible. It was incredibly horrible. I mean, if you looked on Twitter or any other social media, you know, not all of the native tribes or bands are unified. So that particular band were Cree and Metis, and they were already Catholic. The other Cree bands didn't show up. They had delegates that didn't show up. That woman who sang that song was actually singing in her language and made some very uh, harsh critical statements against the Pope. Uh, other Cree bands were like, no traditional Cree person would ever put a headdress on that guy. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, I've, I'm kind of high level in my job and I know how these things go. Everything's vetted and planned out two or three months before. They pick who's going to be on the stage. They pick the security. They pick the route. You know, they pick the people, uh, what they're going to say and how they're going to say it and what they're going to do. So, of course, they picked a tribe or a band of Cree that's going to be sympathetic to the Pope and isn't really going to give him a hard time. And they probably even planned it. So the area and uh, time that that was going to happen was known to some people, but not all people, because they didn't want people outside protesting. So I think that both here in the United States and Canada, uh, most Native people thought that was bad for him to put the headdress on. The apology was kind of 50-50, uh, but they would like to have seen it come with some real action, like money or even a commitment to uh, changing the Vatican's policy, like the Inticatera, otherwise known as the Doctrine of Discovery. Um, any Anything more could have been done than just the apology itself. Um, somebody mentioned volunteering to pay for the reburial you know, of those bodies somewhere else or uh, pay for like one one backhoe's day's worth of work, you know, something, you know, they did something other than just that apology with that, that horrible um, headdress on. I, I Thank you. 
I'm sorry. Go ahead, Victoria. So I, I just didn't want to get off topic here. Uh, I do appreciate Sequapu's um, um, contributions on that and information. And I, I just want to uh, throw it to T to see if uh, there's something similar in the Star Trek uh, world uh, where someone's wearing an inappropriate headdress for the same purposes because we do see that life mirrors art and art mirrors life so perhaps we can talk about this at a on a later date uh or closer to the end of the room uh i just wanted to invite uh, john or or welcome john to the stage and this is star trek sundays in the atheism club on clubhouse and we're discussing freedom fighter and terror feeder fighter freedom fighter or terrorist and we were on the topic of fight for freedom and what is freedom so John, you came up to the stage while we were talking about that. Um, did you have thoughts on uh, on freedom fighters and terrorists in general? And then I'm going to move it to another episode and ask T to uh, recap an episode for us. But uh, John, do you have a contribution? Uh, yeah. How can can you guys hear me well? Yeah, I can hear you. Check check. Okay, great. Um, I guess uh, in the Star Trek universe. When I think of uh, you know terrorism and terrorist organizations, I think more of more of the Deep Space Nine episodes actually. Um, yeah, and then I haven't watched any of the old older episodes for for a really long time. But I came over from Steve's room, and I'm loving this room. And you're gonna make me have to go back through and watch episodes so that I can contribute more later. But what do you guys think about that? I mean, there was always a lot of a lot of um, terrorism on Deep Space Nine, more so than I think any of the other 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 programs. We just think about that. Okay, great. Well, that leads us to the next topic because Blaze of Glory was Deep Deep Space Nine, and um, uh, just so you know, we will be having these uh, rooms every Sunday at ten a.m. Uh, PST, and uh, and we will have this link tree updated probably uh, sooner rather than later as we go along. But um, T can let us know when, when it'll be updated, maybe Wednesday or Thursday with the upcoming um, episodes that you can watch. Because I use this link tree as a, a way to catch up with reading about the episodes we were going to discuss as well as watching them because they're all on Star Trek and I've got it or they're all on Netflix and I have to say I was just absolutely in my glory uh, watching these things again after so many years so T I'm going to throw it over to you and maybe you can recap Blaze of Glory which was Deep Space Nine and uh, and we can talk about did Cisco do the right thing to force Eddington to the launch site yeah, I, I uh, made the link tree, which is pinned at the top here, and um, I plan on filling that up with uh, the, the episodes from the schedule. So in the future, you should see um, the days at which uh, we're going to discuss the topics and um, the, the episodes that are associated with it. If you go there now, you can see the episodes that we're talking about right now. Um, so in the future, please come back and, and see if we're going to talk about your favorite episode. I apologize for not having filled that up sooner. Um, from in the, uh, uh, in the episode Blaze of Glory in Deep Space Nine, um, there was a trader named Eddington and the captain of, uh, the, the outpost had to say, um, uh, had to make him, uh, tell him where the launch site for some missiles were. 
because a Maki missile attack was added for Cardassia. And so Eddington, being a, a, Cardassia, a Cardassian himself, I believe, um, was uh, not wanting to give over the code to the, to the launch site. And so he had to use some some very, uh, you know, questionable tactics here, right? You know, he, um, he, he uh, you know, he basically, you know, Cisco was trying to convince him and he uh, uh, said he's going to, he vows to fight it out, right? And he intends to kill Cisco because uh, he's, he's not going to let this, uh, not going to stop this. And uh, in the end, um, uh, they, they end up finding the, uh, the, the landing, the, the launch pad anyway, right? Um, and so the, what happens is um, they... Uh, let Eddington. Uh, uh, they let Eddington lead, uh, rescue the people. Right, they, they lead the people out of the launch site uh, because there's no actual missiles there. Right, and so he sort of like becomes sympathetic to the situation. He doesn't want these people to, you know, uh, to to um, <clears throat> to um, to give the uh, to you know suffer. But he ends up. Um, uh, but he ends up, uh, you know, and so he ends up staying behind in the final attack. So the final scene is of him um, telling Cisco to, you know, save the people, and he stays behind and he uh, fights off the oncoming troops, and uh, he's killed in the attack. But his sacrifice gives um, Cisco time to uh, get the people away, and they escape, and they leave for the Badlands, and. Of course, Rebecca is a bit distraught at the loss of her husband. So um, there was, you know, there was some some of my some of my favorite quotes from the episode, but um, I don't want to go into into too much. And I think we should hand it over to someone else. <laughs> okay. Well, let me know. Did Cisco do the right thing um, by forcing somebody? Um, I, I don't. In this case, you know, Cisco was trying to prevent. I think it's one of those situations where we act on the information we have, and Cisco had the information that the missiles were real, and so he was acting on the information that he had, um, not knowing that there there were no missiles, right? And so I, I think that's you know one of the, one of the topics that is, is sort of central to, you know this is you know what is your intention here and so when you're when you're doing something because you believe it's right uh you know i'm not sure that you're aggressive you're the aggressor i think that the person who lied and said that there were missiles would be the aggressor here so i think cisco at least thought he was doing the right thing um and and needed to save the people and, and sacrificing you know potentially one person was was probably a better a better bet in that scenario. So it was a um, the trolley. Yeah, it was a basic. It was a big heart type of problem. Yeah, is this? Yeah, is, wow. And Cisco was acting on bad information, right? And that's the critical information here, is that you know Cisco was was willing to kill this person so no people could die. Right, because even if he didn't kill this person, no people would die. You know what I'm saying, right? So, so Zisco was being forced into choosing, you know, 
the 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 flip the switch and kill this guy part of the trolley where the where the other option was flip the switch and no one dies right wow wow um sean now we're into blaze of glory which you were talking about earlier um what do you what do you think about this scenario and uh and the uh the issues in this episode I've already said what I need to say about this episode because I just frankly don't remember it that much. It doesn't stand out. So I would be, um, I'm not in a, I'm not qualified to speak on this episode. So you'll have to pass over me. And no problem. Thank you. Uh, Sikwapu, does this uh, bring anything out for you? This, the, the uh, recap, uh, my question or, or anything in, in that realm? Yeah, I don't know. The whole Maquis thing never made any sense to me. I mean, I knew what they were trying to do, but I mean, in the context of the Star Trek universe, it didn't make any sense. I mean, it, especially given that, you know, it's this utopic society and you can go anywhere and make anything with technology. So I never understood why people would fight so hard to keep their planet or whatever. And the other thing is why, if it was disputed territory, I mean, they knew the Cardassians weren't going to give up so easily. Why would they even let people settle there? It should have been uh, a neutralized zone or a, a DMZ, um, just like they have with the, uh, um, with the Vul not the Vulcans, the... Um, Romulans, you know, they, they've had a DMZ with the Romulans forever. So it just didn't make any sense, especially given that, you know, you can go to the holodeck and, and have your perfect whatever you want to have, perfect life. So it didn't make any sense. So the whole Maki thing doesn't make any sense. But given that, I thought it was super interesting, the battling egos between um, Cisco and Eddington, because Eddington was obviously like super narcissistic and he wasn't really in it for the fight. He was in it because it made him popular. It made him, you know, a hero and stuff like that. And they really emphasized it with the whole uh, Les Miserables thing. And I was a little bit surprised that they had um, Cisco go so nuts with his ego. But I, I thought they were, those were interesting contrasts, contrast, like how much does ego play into these types of conflicts you know is it is it all just male machismo or is there really good intention behind things like that um of course i i probably favor that it's more machismo than anything and ego but you know that's why i got out of it great thank you john any thoughts okay john must be busy um T, did you have anything I, I should, in? I should oh. go down. I have terrible coverage here, guys. Oh, <laughs> well, you can you can stay. But did you have any thoughts on this episode and what anybody said just now? No, I think we can move on. Okay. Yeah, I can't really remember the episode that that well. Anyways, yeah, I'm just gonna drop down to the you guys because uh, I'm in and out of coverage. Okay, great. Okay, thanks. Um, so these questions for me bring up like we talked about like what is freedom and and nobody really answered that i think that's a really difficult thing to answer um uh, so now that we're through there's lots a lot more episodes that we have linked uh for people to explore these things but in general i i guess i had a couple of questions that i wanted to ask and since people were really familiar with roe i liked her as well um i'd like to 
when we ask the question, did Roe do the right thing? My thought is Roe did the right thing for Roe. And isn't that what everyone does? And um, and it brings us to some of these philosophical questions that we see in, in rooms on Clubhouse all the time and elsewhere. Like, what is the right thing? What is good, <laughs> right? What is freedom? These, these things can't really be described. And it's it's often a feeling. So, you know, and I thought, okay, so Roe did the right thing for Roe by betraying Picard, but Picard did the right thing for Picard by using Roe, right? Because P Picard's goals are, you know, quite certain and clear. So I, I wondered if we wanted to, to go into that realm, like we can talk about freedom again and and what what freedom really does mean um because sure sikwapu said that um the the maquis they could just join the federation and then be on the holodeck and and just have a really good life um that that is that freedom i mean it's it might be privilege it might be easy but i don't know if that means it's free so i i just want to put that out there uh t did you have any thoughts on on my general questions of contemplation can i add a wrinkle can i add yeah. a wrinkle so sure. victoria since i just mentioned that guys usually worse in any conflict and i know women aren't perfect but i you know would women in this conversation like you brought up roe she made that decision because that was good for roe is there any kind of um women's perspective on how they handle the, these types of conflicts i just added wanted to add that wrinkle <laughs> well, that is, that is a wrinkle for sure. Um, probably something that we will contemplate further on, like women in leadership, maybe. Um, I, I didn't get from this um, any sort of um, gender specific um, situation uh, on, on the two episodes that I watched recently. So I can't really talk to that. But thank you for bringing that up because I, I think that will be something great to explore. Uh, T. Yeah, I think that um, Roe, uh, when, when you join the Federation, you're expected to act in the Federation's best interest. And Roe did not act in the Federation's best interest. It acted in Roe's best She acted in Roe's best interest. And that's. You know, is that ultimately what we do? Well, some of us, I think some of us just sit there at our at our workstations and do exactly as we're told, right? Some of us think, some of us, um, and this is the point I want to make, some of us make a careful decision. I think Roe made a careful decision. She decided to trade something for another thing. And in and in that making that care and in a, in that making in making that careful decision, she she thought a lot about the consequences, and she decided that the consequences were ultimately better uh, for her because uh, what what she wanted was to see these people survive, and she was willing to give up the holodeck and the the, the food and the you know, the whole thing, right? She was willing to give up the lifestyle in order to see this, this ship of people and this, you know, th this line survives. So I, I think that Roe did the right thing and we need people like Roe in the Federation who are willing to do things like trade their rank in the Federation in order to keep the Federation in line. Does that make sense? Well, <laughs> 
Yes, it it absolutely does. Um, yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking, and and going back to the episode as I did see it recently. Um, I'm sure she would have felt freer, even though she would have had fewer amenities. There would be a sense of freedom. Would she be freer? Like in actual fact, I don't know, but her experience would be that she's made a decision for herself, made a choice based on consequences and and some thought, as you said, um, and the feeling of being freer. So I I wonder if that um, if that translates into real life, and because we we sometimes look, I, I think you and I had a conversation about Quebec. Uh, the province of Quebec wanting to uh, separate from Canada so many years ago, and and how they wanted to be free from Canada, and and I do apologize because it was decades ago, so I don't remember all the details. And there was some violence, um, but if they had separated, they were leaving behind some amenities because they they don't give to Canada they don't give to the feds as much as the feds give to them, and then there are other provinces who give much more. Uh, to the feds than what they take. And so if Quebec had been allowed to leave, from the from an outsider's point of view, they might have been worse off monetarily or something, but would they have felt better? And and are people willing to make that, that sacrifice? Um, it's something I often think about uh, because the rest of Canada made these huge changes in order to appease Quebec they never really seemed to be happy with those anyway. So, for example, the rest of Canada now on every single label across Canada, um, we have French and English. And we say that we're a bilingual country, but we absolutely are not a bilingual country. Um, you can take French in school, and we have some French immersion, immersion classes, but hardly anybody speaks French unless you're in Montreal or you have a reason to do so. Maybe you work for the federal government. But that also... Um, really is a terrible thing because so many people can't work for the federal government because they don't speak French because they have no need for it unless you work for the federal government. So it's a, a bit of a mess, a dog's breakfast, really. Um, but I do wonder about that. If they had left, like they really wanted to leave, um, they would have been leaving behind some money and, and privileges, but maybe they would have been happier. Right, I, I, I don't know. Maybe well, Canada that, would have been better off. I think that directly relates to the the answer to the question, right? You know, Ensign Rowe exercised her freedom. She was free to disobey the, the the Federation. The consequence for doing so was her, uh, you know, what was whatever whatever her you know court martialing or whatever it was, right? She lost her rank or or, or whatever you know punishment it was, right? But people are, you know, free to do that in the sense that they're, they're going to suffer consequences from it. So, you know, in choosing to in, in, in choosing to not do that, she would be sacrificing her freedom. But instead, she chose to exercise her freedom. And that's the decision that she made. Right. I, I wanted to bring up another wrinkle. So. Um, I think Victoria mentioned earlier, uh, or somebody did, that Roe never quite fit in. You know, she was a, a strange character and she never quite fit in. But if you compare her to Major Kira in Deep Space Nine, they both were in, you know, they were both freedom fighters. Um, and um, they were both from the same planet and all that. But they had different 
feelings about the Federation. You know, remember at the beginning, uh, Major Kira didn't like the Federation and, and was reluctantly, you know, being participant. But towards the end of Deep Space Nine, she grew to like the Federation. And Balana is sort of the same. And, I, you know, you guys might not have picked up on it, but her fights between her uh, human and her Klingon side were direct metaphors for Mexicans because Mexicans are half native and half Spanish. And so, like, every time they had an episode about Balana, about her not not liking her Klingon side, but having this attachment to her mother, like she felt like she was betraying her mother, is the same thing that Mexicans feel on a daily basis. Like, whose side are they on? Are they on the native side or are they on the European side? Because they're exactly half. And she was always, she didn't have enough courage ever to be fully Klingon. She was always with the Federation. But I think she found her place, just like Ensign Rowe was sort of out of place. She found her place being in that radical or rebellious atmosphere. It made her feel like she picked her own side. She didn't have to pick one or the other side. She picked a brand new side. And, and so I think that is also part of this conversation about terrorist or freedom fighter. That's great. Thanks for that, Sequapu. I, I do hope that you uh, keep coming back because we are going to do this every Sunday, Star Trek Sundays at 10 a.m. PST. We run for about 90 minutes. And uh, this is Star Trek Sundays in the Atheism Club on Clubhouse, and we're discussing freedom fighter or terrorist. Welcome to the stage, Steve. It looks like you're on the phone, but I'm not quite sure if that's a, an, uh, an old um, emoji thing on there or not. Are you, are you able to talk right now? Okay. Well, we'll welcome Steve when he's, uh, again, able to talk. Um, T, what do you think about that? The comparison to the the real the real life. Yeah, the comparison to Mexicans was brilliant. And I'm sorry, sorry to, he had to leave, but I thought it was a, a very apropos um, comparison. Um, I think that you know the the arc with uh, with Deep Space Nine was was very poignant, especially with Kira. I felt I really did feel like Kira was a um, a, a reboot. Um, of of Ensign Rowe, I felt like there was you know a lot of intentional overlap in terms of the personality um, and the 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 you know the the origins and the looks and everything. Um, I think that Kira was a lot more developed in terms of uh, character, though. I thought I thought she had a, a, a much broader arc and much more developed you know reason for for hating the Federation as it were. So, you know, they're, they're yes, they're both in the same bucket, but I think that, you know, Kira, Kira, you, you can point a lot more things that, you know, Kira would say is wrong than you could at, at you know, Ensign Rowe. Yeah, I did find that um, uh, Kira, I don't know those episodes as well, but, um, but she seems um, more mature and, um, but but in my reading, just over the last couple of days, she was referred to as a former terrorist, right? She it wasn't like she was a freedom fighter. So I had read that uh, in several places. Uh, Sean, I see that you have a comment. Yeah, I think the character of um, oh, my mind just went blank. I think that her character was um, much more developed. I agree with with T on that than. Um, Ensign Rowe. And the, the Maquis, I think, um, I'm not sure who said this earlier, 
Um, I think the McKee, I, it was always very complicated. Like why, why are there, there this group of people? They, they're, they're ridiculous. So I never got into the McKee um, opinion very much, but overall Star Trek um, greatly influenced my morality and my thoughts on life and politics. And I have a friend who grew up with Star Trek and she is totally in love with Star Trek. She tells people that everything she learned in life was from Star Trek. And that's pretty much true. It wasn't from church or religion. It was definitely from Star Trek. And of course, Star Trek is just a composition of episodes like any other television series or movie production based on the writers and what they're allowed to write about you know, within within limits. They can't get too wacky, they can't get too political, or else, you know, the script is not approved. So, but with Star Trek, at least, these questions of morality, these questions of politics, these questions of what is right and wrong, what is the correct ethics uh, of a society and values were explored more than in most other series that were just trying to make us laugh or uh, forget about our problems or whatever. And so it was always very positive for me. Um, as far as the Federation, everyone knows it was a quasi-military institution, but it was sort of like the best they could come up with. It was sort of like the United Nations with some teeth. And the galaxy in the future is a scary place. There's a lot of aliens that don't have human homo sapien, sapien morality, ethics, or values, and they're willing to kill us or eat us or destroy us or take us over or make us their slaves. So there was a need for this federation to not only be a little bit of a political, I mean, to, to not only be a political organization, but it had to have teeth where it could defend itself and go forward. And Obviously, sometimes it made mistakes, uh, and it's just like in life. There's not black and white. There are gray areas. Uh, nothing is perfect, um, but it, it helped to, you know, explore what is right and wrong in humanity and what is the concept of right and wrong in other alien civilizations that are very alien to us. And I just want to finish one thing, and hopefully Victoria doesn't think I'm too off topic. I, I see I'm going through Facebook in the background here, catching up. And there's a quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson, which is which I think he's one of my mentors in life right now. And this is a quote. He says, I dream of a world where the truth is what shapes people's politics rather than politics shaping what people think is true. And I would support that 100%. And I land my plane. Great quote. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. That's great. You know, um, yeah, I was, <sighs> that you said that uh, the Federation is this uh, military organization, um, essentially. It brought me back to the high ground. And, um, revisiting that that was the first one i watched um when i started this um uh research on this room and uh and it was curated by t so i thank him very much for all of the prompts one of the things that uh was said 
uh, by Finn, which was pointed out, was because he said, you know, you're supporting the enemy, right? And they said, well, no, we're not. We're, you know, Dr. Crusher said we're neutral. And he says, no, you're not. You're supplying them with medical supplies and you're not supplying us. And Dr. Crusher looked a bit shocked at that, but in a way that was realizing that, yeah, that's not neutral. And um, it, it really hit me because there's so many times where you think just by keeping certain people alive, like you're not taking sides, but you are unless you're trying to keep everybody alive, right? And, and what do you do with that? Um, so I wondered if, uh, T, you had any thoughts on on that. It's sort of going back to revisiting. Maybe we can bookend the room by going back to high ground because it it was it, it hit me quite a bit watching that this week. Yeah, I think there was a, you know, there was a reason for the ordering, right? I wanted high ground to be, you know, the, the first thing that you sort of came across when, when we talked about this topic, because I felt like it was one of the most poignant episodes on the topic. It, um, it really showed the fact that it was, and, and I, and I, in thinking about this, I realized that I had had this discussion about Stockholm syndrome before. And how this was a display of it. And I think that this was one of the cases where they got it right. Um, because a good sci-fi uh, takes something that you can imagine and makes it a reality. And fantasy is something, you know, where, where you know, you're, you're hoping for it. But, but science fiction is like... You know, you're taking your fantasy and you're trying to make it real, right? And so good sci-fi is one that makes you think about where you're, where you're headed, where you're going with this. And I, I think that by taking it to a place, even though we are in a fictional setting, we are in a, you know, utopian world, where you're going to a place where you can identify with this character and this character's choices of, um, you know, of falling in love with it, with Finn and being uh, mad at the Federation for his death and, you know, for, for the whole situation, right? The whole way it was handled, I think, was a, a classic example of mishandling by the Federation. I think it's one of those cases where, you know, we look back on it and we can obviously see it, but, you know, I think things could have gone differently. In, in that situation if they had acted differently. So I, I think that um, it, it makes me question the whole idea of the Federation because yes, it, it's, it's exactly right. It's a military operation. Um, and, it, and it makes me really question that, right? Um, should we really be, you know, a, should it really be a, a military operation or should it be a... <laughs> humanitarian operation and i say that and even realize that that is wrong because the federation isn't just about humans it's about you know all, all races and, and all those things so humanitarian doesn't even encompass what it is that i'm trying to describe so maybe i need to think on that well yeah <laughs> yeah that's interesting i never thought of it that way yeah I, and by grouping all those other people who aren't uh, humans into that is is quite a, a narrow view so I'll have to reconsider that um, 
yeah, the Stockholm thing, I still think there's a difference. So I have a little pushback. Well, I thought that Finn was an attractive man. I felt like he was more attracted to her, Dr. Crusher, than she was to him. And and I still think that there is this difference. I am going to look it up um, this week just for my own uh, education. Because I do think that there is a difference between Stockholm Syndrome and empathy for the cause. And I think that Dr. Crusher was leaning more towards empathy for the cause than just an attraction to the leader. And maybe there was a little bit of both. And maybe it was made for us. Maybe it was made in a way that it was to be not clear, which it was, in order for us to have these conversations and contemplation. So, uh, Sean. I, I would agree with that. It was a little bit of all of them. And uh, after, you know, he was, Finn was killed, and she said, why did you do that? And the, um, I believe they said something to the effect as well, we don't want any martyrs, there to be any martyrs, or something to that effect, which makes you wonder, because usually sometimes someone gets killed, they become the, the martyr, you know, after death. So, um, but she could see that that was just useless violence and he did not have to be killed like that. Yeah, they did say something at the end where he now is a martyr, but they didn't want him, if somebody else would step in to take over the leadership role and now they have a martyr. It was, it was, it was interesting. I was surprised when they said it because it was uh, said like, we still want him dead, but now he's a martyr. So that it was, I felt like, it, it was being done as just revenge feelings, like let's just get rid of this guy. Yes, I agree with that. And 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 in fact, then he did, I guess, become a martyr in a way. Yeah, the problem with the problem with um, becoming a martyr is you have to die to do so. That's right. why I'm not a martyr to this very day. <laughs> That's right. Um. Well, this has been great. Um, we're coming to uh, close to 1130. And uh, T and I had decided we would do 90 minute um, rooms slash shows. So T, did you have any clothing, closing thoughts before I close the room? No, I don't have any clothing thoughts. I thought that was good. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I, I think that uh, first and foremost, you know, the topic was uh, was you know, the the things that people like Sean and and um, I forget his name now. Sikwapu. Uh, no, Sikwapu. Thank you. Um, brought to the 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 topics, the information that they brought to the to the topic was absolutely incredibly awesome. It was genuine. It was it was factual. It was uh, relevant to the situation that we are in, and I, I think that you know I'm just I'm so incredibly excited to. Um, go ahead and um, work on that uh, link tree at the top here. Get that schedule up so that you know when the next episode is, what the topic of that episode is, uh, what uh, what uh, episodes we're going to be discussing, uh, you know, the questions, you know, the type of, so you can expect those types of things from it, and so you can go ahead and watch them in advance. So, uh, I hope to have like, you know, up to three weeks available for you. So even if you don't, you know, catch the next show, you can still have the information available, watch the episode whenever, and then catch it when your favorite show comes on. So I'm excited to have that available. I'm excited to do this again with Victoria. 
and uh, just thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, thank you. I've really, really appreciate uh, or really enjoyed this room as well as the time spent revisiting um, some of these themes in a different way. And I do hope that um, this will continue and that the people who were here today will come back. And hopefully we've done it in a concise enough way where uh, the replays will be heard and uh, and we'll see what we can do now translating this into some sort of highlight for YouTube over the next uh, couple of weeks. We don't have a schedule for that, but we we do intend to do that. So I am going to close the room in about 30 seconds. I'm just going to play some music before I do that, uh, giving people time to um, bookmark the link, screen cap any chat they want to, because there were some links put in there as well. And then we will see you guys hopefully next Sunday um, for Star Trek Sundays at 10 a.m. PST. So uh, thank you very much. And I'll close the room in about 30 seconds. Yep, follow me, follow Victoria, and I hope to see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>